The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. All right, looks like we are live. I'm Bill Amadeo. Click Madison Amadeo and Grable and Associates. And today, we're going to talk about a couple topics for content. Um, 613 North Dudley Avenue. Get into that bad boy. That's a special one. That was the first house we got in the suburbs, and I'll break that story down. We're going to start with a couple quick things. The Sean Watson. Cannot wait to see him back on the field. Can you believe it? A black guy accused of rape with no evidence, and the case got dismissed? Holy sh**. Man, that's novel. Ah, anyway. And Shiawassee politics. Board of Commissioners, Mayor Ken McDonald. Ken, if I said your name wrong, I'm sorry. He is the Mayor Duran. He is going for the Board of Commissioners of the 4th District. Here's what I know about the 4th District right now. Joe Abera, the hand is improving. And I appreciate you actually asking about the hand as opposed to Scott Grable making comments to how I hurt my hand, because that was a bullshit comment. I did hurt it hitting the punching bag, and I appreciate your friendship as opposed to the sarcasm of some other, albeit very good criminal defense lawyers, but shit stirrers. So the hand's getting better. Thanks, Joe. Mayor Ken is running for 4th District. I know Brandon Marks was the 4th District guy. Now I'm told he's not running. Brandon Marks is a moron man i will tell you marks was the guy that got in my face when i spoke when we made our pitch and cindy garber was talking all this shit about how he wants somebody with character and okay whatever um let me be clear shy town listen to me carefully here if you just vote r without looking at the candidate you're going to get more of a shit show like you have with the current board of commissioners Marks, Plowman, Garber, friggin' Root before he hauled ass after making his sexual advances. Root made a sexual advance for a woman for a a job that I'm told was like forty grand a year. Jesus Christ. I mean we go back to Indecent Proposal. <laughs> you guys ever see the movie Indecent Proposal? Robert Redford offers Woody Harrelson a million dollars for one night. With his wife, Demi Moore. And the question was, would you give your wife to somebody for a million dollars for one night? And the answer is clearly, if Jeremy Root's on the other end of that, it's got to come up with a little more than a million dollars. Anyway, let's... (laughs) Sorry. Live audience is turning red over here. It's true. Jeremy Root... It was like a $40,000 a year gig he was offering sexual advances. What the hell? All right. Stop. Let's talk about 613 North Dudley Avenue. All right. As many of you guys know, um, I grew up in Ducktown, Atlantic City in the 90s. And that was a hell of a place. It was the hood. And at the age of 19, they were going to tear down this housing project and the guy who owned our home basically told us we had no time we had to roll in a couple months so we had like five cats several dogs we're like in a panic this is like a two-minute drill right i've been saving money to get our stuff out of pitney village area ducktown and we got to move quick now and Ventner and Margate were always like the promised land where we come from. 613 North Dudley Avenue in Ventner Heights was my aunt's dream home. So what I did, I had money put away. I just started working night and day. And we're shoving money away. She wants this house so bad. Um, This was her dream home, as I said. At 19 years old, uh, I remember we bought the house. And I came up with all the money for the down payment. And it was, to me, 613 North Dudley 
was the escape, you know? I didn't like Vetner. I didn't like the people in Vetner. I still really care for most of them. If you're watching this, sorry guys. We weren't cool back then. We're not really cool now. But Vetner was like this area of safety. So this was us moving to the suburbs. It was an interesting transition. My mom, may she rest in peace. We'll talk more about mom later. Gloria Neri. It's a tough little woman. She was terrified. You know, we weren't really happy on 109 North Willow Avenue. I don't know who anybody could be. We had a lot of love in that house, but we certainly... It was not the area of safety. Um, it was a rough place to be. The street actually had a sign that said dead end, and that was pretty apropos. And there was Clawson's Glass Company. I was actually friendly with Billy Clawson. That's another story for another time. He really wasn't a bad guy. But there was... There was a way that people that really couldn't connect with anybody could connect with me. And I had memories of Ducktown. It was more like survival memories. But we knew we were taking this step. And here's Mom. Mom, may she rest in peace. My grandmother died on the couch in that house before I was thought of. Mom had sadness in that house. There was so much tragedy on 109 North Willow Avenue. It was the only house my mom ever knew. And before we were moving, mom's like crying, hey, I don't want to leave my house. And me and Aunt Mary are like, hey mom, get the f*** out of here. We're leaving and we're never turning back. Let's go. So I'm packing sh into my 1983 Camaro, which I bought for $500. Um... <laughs> Putting the cats and the dogs and we're going to what we believe is a better land. And it was. You know. The house was significant. It was my first big purchase. You know, and I was pretty proud at 19 years old to buy my family a house. But it wasn't just about making the purchase and working the long hours in the casino. It was about escape. It was about moving forward. It was about leaving shit behind. Now you can understand my family. Because there's some interesting stories that are going to come out. Um, my Aunt Mare, Mary Lee Neary, she was tough as nails. Five foot one. A complete badass. And Aunt Mary used to tell me, I don't care how important you get in life. If I got to climb on a step stool and beat your ass, you remember I raised you. Aunt Mary was one of the few people in my world I was scared of. You were always trying to provide for Aunt Mare. Aunt Mare let you know that she did everything for you. I mean, she basically raised me and my mom. My mom had me real young. Gloria Neary, little fireball herself, five foot. I mean, my family, I'm like five, six, and I'm like the giant, which is tells you we were short Italian people, okay? Mom had a really sad life. Um, she got pregnant when we were real young. She always loved her own guys. She died of ovarian cancer way too young. Sweet woman. Loved singing her karaoke. Maybe had a singing career if I didn't come into the picture. There was a lot of weight on my shoulders. And as we were growing up, you know, there was no proms and parties and smoking weed and drinking beer. When everybody else was doing that shit, you know, my aunt used to explain to me, this was on me to get us out. There was only two ways it was going to happen, right? It was going to be with baseball, or it was going to be with my brain. And baseball didn't work out. There were some injuries. Probably didn't have the talent to make it anyway. I worked hard, but, you know, as everybody else was experiencing all these childhood comings and goings, all these things that make us who we are, I mean, I was, like, on this mission. And I thank God that my family every day for putting me on that mission. But the first highlight if you would would be 613 north dudley avenue and that house had a lot of character so here we come from the ghetto packing everybody in into my bullshit 83 camaro that didn't always work aunt mary's in the front seat mom's in the back seat animals are in the back in their crates we're shoving shit in we're going back and forth and that eight-mile drive felt like an eternity, but in some ways it felt like boom. And there was so much pride in that house. Then you had to keep the house up, right? 
So I'm in college, and mom is starting to get sick. Aunt Mare starts working, but Aunt Mare had her health issues too. I'm in college, and college was this for me. Um, college was 16 credits, 40 plus hours of work at the casino, doing some stuff with the union, like, and shoving money away, and shoving money away. Got really good with money. Um, had to pay the mortgage, right? That house was our baby. Aunt Mare, that was her dream house. And there's going to be some sadness that's going to come into this house shortly. But when I came home from law school on term breaks and stuff, there was such a sense of pride. Because before I went to law school, I bought a condo in Atlantic City. A small condo. It was right by Tropicana. And the condo went up in value. So I knew I had to leave Jersey when I left. If I didn't go to law school in August of 2004, it may not have happened for me. It was just that moment in time you knew. And I knew the condo was going up in value. So what I did was I sold the condo and paid off the house on Dudley Avenue. And I just went to Lansing with nothing. But I knew Aunt Mary and Mom were going to be safe because they had no mortgage anymore. All I had to do was go up with the taxes at that point. And that was a sense of pride, too. Mom wasn't working at this point. The ovarian cancer was getting to her. Aunt Mary always made it very clear that financially I had to support them. So the condo, I go. Before we get to that point, though, I think of some of the times in that house. Remember me and Q and Scott Zolber sometimes just being in that house. And there was this one moment in time, right? We're all trying to find ourselves. Um, Scotty got into law school before the rest of us. May he rest in peace. Damn good lawyer, Miss Scott. Hugh was teaching high school. I was bartending in the casino. I'm trying to get into law school. Hugh is going to go to pharmacy school. And we used to spend so much time in that house just going over stuff. The house was kind of like this beacon of safety. There were so many things that ended up being brilliant that were discussed in that house. 613 North Dudley was special to me. Q eventually went to pharmacy school. He's a big-time pharmacist in Jersey. I went to law school. You kind of know that story. I mean, there were things that we just... We went over and over and over. It's like that house was almost like... It wasn't just leaving the ghetto to the suburbs. I mean, that was part of it, right? There was this other part. Like this freedom of thought thing. The animals were happier. Aunt Mare was at peace. Nobody was going to shoot the house up at 2 o'clock in the morning. It was special in that regard. It really was. And there were rules to that house, though. <laughs> there was a girl I was dating when I was 20 years old. And because I was putting so much money into the house... Um, I was putting so much money in the house. You know, you didn't have a lot of expendable income to just go get hotels and stuff like that. So I'm 20 years old. I'm dating this beautiful girl. She's a cocktail waitress. I'm a bartender. Um, I was in college. She wasn't, so she had more free time than me. And we used to go, we'd hang out overnight, like, to these cheap little hotels or stuff like that. So she gets pissed off one day. And this is a pretty... And Mike P, this speaks volumes to the Italian woman that's in charge. What am I about to say? I'm 20 years old. I bought the house. Remember that now. And my girlfriend at the time says, why don't we just stay at your house? You know, you have this beautiful house. I could just sleep in your room. And I'm like, are you out of your mind? Let me be clear. I may have paid for the house. And my name may be on the house, but that's Aunt Mare's house. I'm not bringing a girl to stay overnight. If I had a girl stay overnight on 613 North Dudley Avenue, I promise you this. My Aunt Mare would have beat the living shit out of me. To this day, she's one of the few people in this world I'm 
terrified of. I know she's watching right now, so I better watch what I say. Aunt Mare was so amazing. But there was such a level of respect for her. I would never bring a woman into the house to stay tonight. Whether I paid for it or not, we only got there because of Aunt Mare. My responsibility to pay, but I would not take liberties in that house at all. Now, eventually the girl and I broke up because she's like, oh, so your aunt's in charge. Hell yeah, Aunt Mare's in charge. Sorry. I'm not battling you over Aunt Mare. Aunt Mare's going to win every day of the week and twice on Sunday. She was one amazing one. But you, when I saw these kids that used to have like their girlfriends and boyfriends stay overnight in their parents' home, here's a house I bought. I wouldn't even think twice about that. The Italian Catholic home? Oh, no, 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 no. You don't pull that shit. That was never going to work with Mary Lee Neri. Trust me on this one. Mm -mm. Get chills just thinking about that. And Aunt Mary used to have a way of, um, she had a way of literally judging the girls I dated with. And I learned if Aunt Mary wasn't going to like the girl I'm dating with, I'm going to keep her away from Aunt Mare. Here's who Aunt Mare liked. Aunt Mare loved Kara. And Kara was there at Aunt Mare's funeral. We were doing a relationship. She loved Kara. She liked Joanna Raggio a lot. Joanna was her girl. Joanna and I dated, but then we became close friends. We're still close friends today. Aunt Mare approved of Joanna. And that was about it for people she approved of. Because I want to get into a story right now about some people she didn't approve of and some of the stories that hit. Because Aunt Mare, again, um, okay, I'm in law school, right? And there's this girl I'm dating. And I thought it was kind of serious. And, um, it didn't work out. Long story short is, um, we broke up. She ended up with somebody else who was much older. It was a very complicated situation. But this guy, basically, one of the things he was going to do was try to make sure I didn't get to the New Jersey bar. He had a lot of power back then. He was an older lawyer, bigger lawyer. I was nobody back then. And, um... He was mad. I was kind of with his girl. It got very complex. Now, my girl at the time, or my ex-girl, I should say, she thought that she was very connected to my aunt. And for some reason, I'm home for term break. We had recently broke up. And she calls Aunt Mare. Now, I'm not home when she calls Aunt Mare. When this individual called Aunt Mare... By the way, she's going to kill me when she sees this, because we still text once in a while. She's still pissed off about things. It's a long story, but she will literally, she will freak out and text messages over this story. So I'm not going to mention names, but a very few people know who this person is. I'm home for term break. And I am going to get my Aunt Mary and my mom their White House subs. And I decided I'm going to get them some cookies from Formica's. I got them some flowers, you know, I don't have a ton of money at this point, but I have some disposable income that's going to go on my family. I'm just happy to be home. So I drive home. Now, it's important to note, my mom is real sickly at this point. The cancer's kicking her ass. She's going to die in a year. Mom is sick and in bed all the time, so I want to do something special for mom. So I'm coming home. With, like, these cookies and the White House subs. And I hear the speaker phone going on. Aunt Mare put this on speaker. Now, Mom's up in her room, right? And Mom's, like, eavesdropping on everything. But Mom had a different line on her phone. Like, she had a different phone number. 
Aunt Mare and my ex are on the phone. And my ex is crying on the phone to Aunt Mare. She called her Aunt Mare. She goes, Aunt Mare, I love Bill. I want to be with him. I'm just, I got to do this right now. And Aunt Mare's like, look, honey, don't call me Aunt Mare. We're not family. I don't want to talk to you. Bill's not going to talk to you anymore. She goes, I know what your crazy boyfriend tried to do to screw up his chance to practice law in New Jersey. So stop calling. And the girl was like in this zone where she's calling, 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 right? All the time. She's calling my son. I'm just not picking up. Like I'm ghosting her. Ghosting per 2006. That, that, in 2022, they would call that ghosting. And I'm hearing her cry on the phone, and my Aunt Mary is just laying out the facts. Like, for whatever reason, her boyfriend picks up the phone. Now, her boyfriend's like 30 years older than me or whatever. Why she called near the presence of her boyfriend is very... It's beyond me. But if you know her, she did some things for attention. So... The boyfriend's on the phone now talking to my aunt. And the boyfriend says, and my Aunt Mare can understand now. And I'm just kind of watching like a car crash. Like, what the f*** is going on here? The boyfriend's on the phone. And it's on speaker. And he says to me, you tell your f***ing nephew to stay away from my fiance. I'm marrying her. I'm going to make sure he never practices all a new day in New Jersey. Now, my aunt's crazy. And I'm the golden boy. Understand this. So this guy just threatened my future. He's took my girl. He's with her. And he's threatening that he's going to call the New Jersey Board of Ethics and make sure I can't practice law. My aunt screams at him, you motherfucker. If you try to screw Billy's future up, I'm going to make sure somebody breaks your knees i promise you this you and that little better stay the away from my boy and my aunt's losing her right and i'm just sitting there huh now mom's upstairs mom's sick and dying here comes my mom she comes running down the stairs i'm sitting there and I'm like trying to get on the phone on the living room line to calm the situation down. Because number one, I appreciate my aunt so much. But please, don't make physical threats on the phone. This guy's probably recording it, right? Here comes my mom, little Gloria Neri. She comes running down the stairs, like whatever energy she had. She pushes me to the couch, grabs the phone, and she's going, You piece of shit! You go near my son! We're going to fucking kill you! You remember that? You and that little fucking and my mom's screaming, that's why he fucked all her friends and blah, blah. My mom's losing her And I'm like, holy shit. This is not good. My aunt and my mom are threatening this guy on the phone. And this is a guy who thinks he's somebody powerful, right? He thinks he's somebody important. He didn't meet Gloria and Mary Lee Berry because they didn't give a fuck. They both hang up the phone. They said, Billy, we want to talk to you in the living room. Mm -hmm. Hey, guys. Got your subs and cookies. And the Admiral calmly says to me, listen, I want you to understand something. If he lies about you and tries to hurt you because that little bitch you used to have sex with, we are going to hurt him. Do you understand that? So maybe you want to tell that to your ex-girlfriend because we're not playing around. We will break his knees i'll have somebody do it he needs to understand that honey and here's my aunt who was just losing her shit, and she's very calmly telling me hey i'm gonna take this motherfucker out he fucks with you i called my ex that night i'm like listen this is over we know this is over he won he's got you but you don't know my family it's really best that we don't have any further communication. And um, I'm like, he just needs to stay away. 
Now, thankfully, nothing ever happened, and it was just, like, locker room talk, I suppose. But my aunt and my mom, may they rest in peace. Mm. That was not a pretty situation. And part of me wants to kill this guy for getting into it, my aunt and my mom. Another part of me is also pissed off he took the girl. A third part of me is like, oh, sh Aunt Mary and Mom are off the deep end right now. So I have... I eventually have communications with him, and I say under no uncertain terms, don't go near my aunt and mom. Don't ever talk to him like that again. And I said to him, if you think I'm crazy, you don't know my family. So, you have her, I have my family, let's just move forward. And we did. But I will tell you, when he got into this, I'm this big time lawyer, and I'm going to hurt Billy's career, my aunt and my mom did not handle that very well. And here's mom, who's a year away from her death. I don't know where mom found the energy, but oh, little glory near She shoved me across the couch like a friggin' linebacker in the NFL, grabbed the phone out of my hand, and started putting her two cents in. And I gotta tell you, call it crazy, call it dysfunctional, I just call it love. Gloria Neary and Mary Lee Neary were two little badasses. And they would have protected me under any circumstances. I didn't deserve to be in that situation. We broke up. He got her. Congratulations, bro. But to actually make a threat that you're going to call New Jersey Board of Ethics and make up allegations about me and to claim that you know people that could make this happen, I can never practice law in Jersey, that's not the thing to say to Mary Lee Neary. I'll tell you that right now. Thank God he didn't say that to her in her presence. You don't know Aunt Mare. <laughs> there was a kid that hit me one time, right? We were playing baseball. We were just playing a pickup game. And he threw a baseball, hit me right in the balls. And um, I was in pain. He laughed and walked away. I went home and I told my aunt. Hey, here's what happened today. And my aunt said to me, I will not sleep until you beat his fucking ass. She goes, and if you can't win the fight, that's okay. But if you don't go fight him, do not come back in this house. I raised a man. That was Mary Lee Mary. And I fought him. Unsuccessfully, mind you, but uh, enough where I could have dinner in the house again. Yeah. And then, mom passed away, and uh, that was rough. And I was with this other girl in 2009, and here's another Aunt Mare story. Now, mom's gone this time. And for whatever reason, this girl and I were breaking up, and this girl had this belief system that her and Aunt Mare were cool. Aunt Mare could not stand her. And um, she calls Aunt Mare. Now this time I'm in Lansing. And she thought she would put the phone on voice on a speaker so I could hear it. This is all happening at 613 North Dudley Avenue. Understand the power of this house, the memories. They're amazing. Me and this girl are close to breaking up. And she calls Aunt Mare. And she goes, listen, I don't think Bill wants to be here anymore. Um, you need to talk some sense into him. And Aunt Mare is like on the phone. And she says to the girl, I've been trying to get him to dump you for a while now. You're not good enough for my boy. Like my aunt's laying into her. And the girl's crying her eyes out. She goes, look. I'm glad you were a friend when his mother died. He bought you a house. I did buy her a house. And it was... My aunt hated this one with a passion. And she's ripping into her. He's not staying with you. He's leaving. I don't want him in Lansing. I don't want him with you. I can't believe you had the balls to call me and ask me to help you in this situation. I've been telling my son, she called me her son, to break up with you for a while now. So she's crying her eyes out. Now, I gotta... This time... I'm in Lansing living with this woman. I gotta deal with this shit, right? And I'm sitting there like, oh, Christ. So I call Aunt Mare. Aunt Mare, look, why did you say that to her? She goes, look, honey, I don't like her. 
I never liked her. I'm sorry I hurt her feelings, but it's best for everyone. She goes, it's time for you to go. Okay, please just stay out of it. I'll figure shit out, right? Okay, no problem. I'm trying to tell the girl I was with at the time, hey, listen. Don't contact my aunt. It's not going to go well. Aunt Mare's a different breed. Just don't turn her for relationship advice, okay? okay. Now, my aunt... <laughs> you had to know Mary Lee Deering. This girl used to be off on Wednesdays for whatever reason. It was like her schedule. But Wednesdays were the days she was off. I'm tutoring. And Aunt Mare calls her on a Wednesday. And um, they have this horrible conversation. Aunt Mare, I'm told my girl at the time says to me, your aunt called me, knowing I was off on Wednesday, and said that you're only tutoring because you're supporting her financially. He's going to break up with you. He's probably cheating on you. Um, he were, he was only with you because he was depressed about his mother. He's only staying with you because of the dog, Max. You need to understand, you are not part of the big picture. So, the girl breaks it all down for me. Your aunt, she called and said all these things. Okay, I'm sure she didn't say that. Chill out. So, I go outside, I call Aunt Mary. Hey, so-and-so says you said A, B, C, and D. Did you? She goes, yes. She's telling you the truth. I said all those things. I meant them. She goes, look, you got a lot of weight on your shoulders, Billy. She goes, I understand you're supporting me financially and doing this and doing that. You don't need this woman. She goes, I hope to God you're cheating on her. I can't stand the sight of her. She goes, I told her all these things. I meant it. I can't stand her. Cool. Now, I'm still living in that house. Understand this. So Aunt Mare's like, Stirring some shit. That was just Aunt Mare. I call Matt up. Matt, I'm tutoring him at this point. We're becoming very close friends. And I say to Matt, hey, listen, what do you think of all this? And Matt's like, well, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so my aunt and Matt start talking. They're like teaming up like, hey, let's get him the hell out of there. Aunt Mare loved Matt. She loved Q. And thankfully, she loved Kara. Kara, when Kara walked in the picture, Kara was, like, concerned about meeting Aunt Mare, and Aunt Mare welcomed her with open arms. She liked her. The first time Kara was at a family event, my uncle walked into the room and said, well, you look like a civilized human being, not like the people he's been dating. And Kara was in. Family was absolutely in, most important thing to me, but so many funny things Amazing things happened on 613 North Dudley Avenue. And then we lost the house in Hurricane Sandy. <sighs> Hurricane Sandy hit. It broke my aunt's heart. And we lost the house. And I had to move Aunt Mary to an apartment. Now at the time, I was going to start practicing law independently. And it was going to be like a two-year rough spot. I was going to finish the tutoring I had to do was going to roll on students, but it was just time for me to fly. Now I got to get Aunt Mare a new apartment. Remember, I paid off the house, but now I got to relocate Aunt Mare. I had to stay tutoring longer. You know, I had to take care of my aunt. And it was a sacrifice, but I mean, I owe Aunt Mare everything. No regrets on that. My do, my do regret the following. The contractor we hired to fix it. We got money from the state. I'm supposed to fix this thing. The contractor steals the money. And um, it was hell. Went on for years. My aunt passed away in 2015. She was one in a million. And a couple of years ago, after winning battle after battle, the house got built. We sold the house, and if you know Kara Wiseman, Kara's amazing with money. 
took that money, flipped it in the properties, and done amazing things with it. Um, but selling that house to me, selling 613 North Dudley Avenue after the rebuild, and the rebuild would not have happened without Jerry Dowdy. Jerry Dowdy was my eyes and ears while I was in Michigan. He made that project work. Kara was brilliant with the finances. I worked my ass off. I had to pay money out of pocket, but then we sold it for a good profit. And it was kind of like saying goodbye to everything. Um, when we sold the house, there was a part of me that would know. I knew I'd never really be in Jersey again. And I look at that house as, you know, my first big accomplishment. Heartbreak, funny stories, all the times I didn't get into law school. I can tell you guys about union elections. I can tell you about me and Q working on stuff. Me and my animals just sitting there during the roughest of times, the safety, to go from the ghetto to the burbs, then to lose the house to a natural disaster, then the fight back. And there were times in that fight, you just wanted to throw your hands up. There were times when it was so brutal and exhausting. And all I thought to myself is my aunt would want me fighting for that house. And we fought like hell, and we won. When I think of 613 North Dudley Avenue, a lot of interesting memories. But I do know Aunt Mare, Mary Lee Neary, and Gloria Neary, we did it together. And I kind of still feel like we're doing it together. Missed them every day. And I can't think of that house without thinking of them. They were special. That house was special. And it was such a weird journey. It was your escape from the hood. And then to lose it. Then to get it back. Then to use it for financial stability. And start acquiring wealth. And it, it was such... There's so much that goes in the 613 North Dudley Avenue. There's so much of that house that helped make me who I am today. And um, for better and worse. Miss Aunt Mary and Mom a lot. And I do miss that house. But one of the things that we talked about um, with the house was what do you really do here? Do we keep the house and use it as a rental do we just sell to make the profit and Karen and I broke it down and we're like we're gonna sell it we're gonna make the profit and it wasn't really a brutal decision because without Aunt Mary and Mom it was almost like you just focus on finances without Aunt Mary and Mom you just focus on your career it's weird because I wouldn't have the career without them but while Aunt Mary was here, had to take care of her, and it, in some ways it held up the career. Things happened the way they happened, and I'm grateful the way things have transpired. But, you know, when you have a good family at home, and we, I wouldn't trade my family for anybody in the world. You could say there was dysfunction. You could say there was chaos. You can't say there wasn't love. There wasn't a day that went by that I didn't feel special and loved. And I will tell you, even though she didn't thank me for it, I know Aunt Mary was grateful about that house. Um, she was at peace in that house. And many of our animals are buried in the backyard of that house if they lived really great lives. And even though we don't own the property anymore, there's a part of the Neary family that's always going to be connected to 613 North Dudley Avenue. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Today, it's been a weird one. Um... This Jersey thing just keeps kicking back up. So I want to tell the story of the Alki Club. The 
Alki Club back in Ducktown was like this beacon of safety. I'm Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates, and tonight I'm gonna kick it old school, I guess. I just had a kid text me, and he said to me, "What kind of time am I looking at if we lose the trial?" And I said, "Don't worry about it. We're not gonna fucking lose." So, yeah, there's gonna be some people that are gonna be saying a lot of things when this case is over, but um, we outwork them. Hang in there, kid. Anyway. Atlantic City, Ducktown, 80s, 90s. Crazy place. Um, there were like three places that were kind of viewed as safety in our old neighborhood. White House Sub Shop. If you were at the White House, nobody was going to mess with you. You may get mugged leaving the White House with your subs, but in the White House, you were good to go. And the live audience liked that one. Second was St. Michael's Church on Mississippi Avenue. It was a place of safety. And the third place we're going to talk about tonight was the Alki Club. Alright, so the Alki was this little social club, if you would. It's one of the last things left from Little Italy. And uh, generations of people were in that club. It's a very small club, but in the back, you had your weights. You had your punching bag, you had your heavy bag. And there's a lot of ways I could go about this, but um, I'm going to start when I was 14. When I was 14, I was sickly, and I was getting beat up a lot. The jitney and the bus rides home and all that. And I, I never professed to be a great fighter. I'm not. I always said this. I don't view myself as tough, but I always viewed myself as a scrapper. One of the reasons why I was a scrapper was because of my grandfather. My grandfather, Matt Neary, was a badass. May he rest in peace tough professional boxer and when i was 14 life was just brutal i was actually on academic probation there's a lot of things going on i became a good student but for years this whole dyslexia thing it didn't make sense i was really good speaking but i wasn't great on my papers all the time and we learned I was actually until my second term of law school how to fix the dyslexia thing so when that happened, it was like, holy shit. Like, I couldn't break a 149 on the LSAT when I was trying to get into law school. When I learned how to fix this, Lexi, I got a 174 out of 180 for fun. I mean, it was like, wow. Many hours I was studying the Alki. And taking the LSAT with dyslexia was, it was brutal. But we'll get to that. Because that's coming in the story. But let's start my grandfather. I'm getting beat up. I'm getting bullied. Um... Just had to learn how to fight. Not that I was going to win fights, but to survive. The goal here, right, was if I could fight enough to make it difficult for the pillars of the community, if you will, that'd be survival. And my grandfather, he would die a year later, but um, his last year on this earth, he really taught me a lot about fighting. He got me in there with the heavy bag. He got me in there with the speed bag. And what last energy my grandfather had, he helped mold me into somebody that could defend themselves and defend their family. And it gave me this... gave me so much balls. That's the only way I could use it. My grandfather really taught me how to survive. My grandpa and I have a lot of issues. Um... That's documented from people in my inner circle. But I will tell you, I did love the man. And he truly, he kind of saved me that last year of his life. Taking me to the Alki after hours. I do my homework. Come on, Billy, let's go. And you'd hit that bag for hours. And he'd teach me how to split the jab. Teach me how to take a punch. You know, was enough to make me a great boxer. But it was enough to make me a great survivor. And that was something that the Alki was always special to me. And high school was rough. Um, it's kind of a bitter pill. My grandpa died sophomore year. And I used to sneak into the Alki with his old key. And I kind of looked at the Alki as my one place of peace. And then one day, 
we had like candy machines and stuff in the Alkai, and one of the guys that was like an officer of the Alkai, who I believe was stealing from the Alkai, kicked me out. Said you had to be eighteen to come in here. And I gotta tell you, at sixteen years old to take the Alkai away from me, it was heartbreaking. I still resent that individual. So I lost this place of peace, you know? Grandpa just died. I can't box anymore in the place. I guess I go to another gym. We were poor as shit. And that was the end of the Alki till I was 18. 18 years old, I rejoined. And um, this is kind of documented in Confessions of a Crooked Cop. That's when the drug deal almost went down. There were me and two other kids that were at the Alki. And there was somebody who was kind of a fringe member. And he offered us $10,000 to drive a Bronco to California. There was cocaine in there. At the time, you know, you're poor, you're at community college, and this money seemed like a great deal. And um, I was the only one that didn't take him up on that offer. I knew that my aunt, my mom would be heartbroken if I did that. I remember the three of us were talking in the Alki. We had our hands wrapped, we're boxing. What do we do with this? Do we take the money? Do we do this? Do we do that? This is one of those moments in time, you know? It's one of those moments where it's like going to make or break you. One of the kids, the other two took the money. One of the kids ended up being a very big drug dealer in the Atlantic City area. He's dead now. Um, another one ended up being a middle-of-the-road drug dealer. He's in prison. And his son is somebody I defended in Michigan. That was one of the things from Confessions of a Crooked Cop. It was really weird how that whole thing came full circle. He was a middle-of-the-road drug dealer. And the long story short right there is that they sent their child, him and his girl, to Michigan to live with relatives. Then his kid called a possession charge, and I defended the son, and... It was really a strange endeavor. But I think back to that night, the Alki. Here's these three young kids. 18 years old. Whole world's in front of us, right? Here's 10 grand with a promise of more money to come. And the person who wanted us to drive his Bronco, he was somebody we kind of respected because he kind of told us how to fight a little bit too. He was a very good, well, I don't want to get the names, but he was good at what he did as an athlete. And uh, he had other things on the side. He worked in the casino, but he had other ways of making income, which he shared with us. I remember being in that Alki, hitting that bag at 18. And I'm pondering, do I make this drug delivery? And I thought back to my grandfather from a couple years ago, and I just hit the bag, and I knew my grandpa would want me to do it. I know Aunt Mary and Mom would be heartbroken. And it was rough because... The other two had money quick. They had girls quick. They had this. They had that. And I'm the poor white kid in the hood. In some ways, I think the Alki played a role in my safety there. Because I felt safe there. I didn't feel safe getting involved in other situations. The other situations were quick fixes. What I've learned in life, crim law, sports, whatever. When something comes too easy in life, it's not good. When you gotta bleed for something, when something's painful, then you could appreciate the fruits of your labor. And I thank God I didn't get involved in that drug deal. But um, that was at the Alki. College was different. You know, at 19 years old, I bought my family the house. And I still remain a member of the Alki. I used to come back there all the time. And um, one of the people that I talked to at the Alki was Steve Breitzman. Steve Breitzman worked in the casino. And he worked at the White House sub shop. And Steve was one of the nicest people you ever met in your life. He just had a way of being a voice of reason in difficult times. Because college was difficult. You know, you just bought your family the house, and you're coming back to the Alki, you're kind of caught between these two worlds, and Steve would always um have words of wisdom. 
good man died way too young and it was weird when i was thinking about this alki thing long day at work i'm in the gym i know i gotta do some content what am i gonna talk about when i talk about the alki certain names came to mind steve reitzman scott zolber you know scotty z i've talked about him before through some of the most difficult times of my life some of the happiest memories about that alki it was a special place um i could tell you about the fantasy football drafts scott Sharnoff will still talk shit about how i traded barry bonds for chuck knoblock and alice burks one year i was like one of the younger kids at these fantasy drafts and the alki fantasy drafts were something else there was always like this big spread of food and you put your money in the pot and you gambled on sports I could tell you about Chris Foster's bachelor party when Mr. T showed up. You know, there's some really fun memories. But then there's more powerful ones. I'm going to get into one of them. I was working at Tropicana. And um, this LSAT thing was not happening for me. Now, again, we didn't know about the dyslexia. We just didn't know. I remember, like, I had my LSAT books out, the Alki. And I'm kind of, like, grinding through it, right? And I'm just prepping. And a few of the guys are laughing. Hey, you're not getting any younger, blah, blah, blah. And it was kind of weird. It was, like, that moment in time when you kind of realize this law school thing and this dream of being a lawyer was not going to happen. And then walk Topo. Topo is a superintendent of his school district, and he also works at the White House sub shop. And Topo came up to me, and he was somebody, and Topo was somebody who, in my world, was such a role model. Because in our old area, if you would, education was not a huge thing. There were guys that worked at the casino, there were guys that were mailmen, there were guys that had nice lives, okay, but they were blue-collar. Topo had a foot in both camps. And I'm trying so desperately to leave Tropicana and go off to law school, and I can't get these f***ing LSATs up. And I'm just working, working, working. I'm at the club one night. I'm alone in there. I often went when nobody was there. LSAT books were spread out. A couple guys at the White House were laughing. Ha, 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 you're... Not gonna get into law school. Topo comes, sits next to me, puts his arm around me. He goes, "Listen, kid, there's something about you." He goes, "I heard all the things you're hearing. It wasn't easy for me in higher education." He goes, "You're probably gonna go off to some place because I don't think you're gonna stay in Jersey because you're gonna go off to some place because you're gonna meet people in law school." And you're going to meet somebody in law school you're going to do a big-time law firm with. He goes, don't ever forget that. You are going to make it big. And hearing that from the guy who was like the role model to me was such a huge thing. A couple of years ago, I was back in Jersey. And I saw Topo at the White House. I told he's, I'm told he works at Pete's now. I saw Topo at the White House. And he goes, oh my god, it's so good to see you. I'm like, hey, great to see you too. And he goes, I want you to listen to this song by Drake called Start It From The Bottom. He goes, you know, I know we don't talk much. He goes, but every time I hear that song on the radio, I think of you, Billy. So that song's kind of special to me. But it was at the Alki where Topo told me... Um, I was going to get into law school. One of the few people that actually believed me back then. When I did get into law school, you had like this um, cool conscious, if you would. I don't know. I got this acceptance in the Cooley. And Rutgers just said no. And I told the story how I decided to go into Michigan. And I worked that night. I worked like 10 hours at Trop. I did some overtime. And I had my law school acceptance letter with me. 
and I sat in the gym by myself, always went there after hours, and I hit the punching bag, right? And let me tell you guys, for those of you who don't box, I don't profess to be a great boxer, if you hit a punching bag for three minutes straight, it is f***ing exhausting. And I'm blasting my music, which back then was sort of a boombox with a CD player in it. <laughs> and I hit the bag for three minutes, and I took a minute off. I hit the bag for three minutes, and I took a minute off. I hit the bag for three minutes, took a minute off. I did this 12 times. And I'm just in so much pain physically. And part of me wants to puke. And it wasn't this feeling of sickness and being not controlled by emotions. It wasn't just the physical exhaustion. I had this realization, right? I had to leave Jersey. And look at this cool acceptance letter. And like, am I really just going to do this? And was that moment in time I thought about Topo? I thought my grandfather. All these people that played a role in my upbringing, one way or another, were connected to this gym. And the only thing I could do at that point, at 5.30 in the morning was hit a punching bag and blast my music to feel connected to them and make this life-altering decision. The Alki was special to me. During those years, Q and Scott Zolber, we'd lift together, we'd hit the bag together, we'd shoot pool in the front room together. I always fed these alley cats. That's my biggest, one of my biggest regrets about leaving for Michigan was I felt bad who was going to take care of the alley cats. But there were these alley cats, these families, right, that used to hang by the alki. And every night, no matter how tired I was or who I was dating or whatever, I had to go feed these cats. <laughs> they were really cool, the alki cats. And they became dependent upon me, and I became friendly with them, obviously. Me and cats, go figure. Alki was special. And um, my second year of law school, it was sold. And we all got a piece of it because we all owned it. And the last night before we had to hand our keys in, I was on home. I was uh, actually home from law school for term break. And I hit the bag. I just sat there. And it was like this realization that part of your life is now in the rear of you, man. Rear view. There's this other part that's like staring you in the face. I didn't know what the future was going to hold. In fact, I still am not 100% sure what the future is going to hold. When people tell you they plan out their future, here's my advice on that. Work your ass off. Have goals, but once you reach them, don't become satisfied. I'll tell you what, once you become satisfied with a goal, somebody's going to knock you on your ass. you got to move on to the next thing. Makes me really good at what I do, but it is f***ing exhausting. Trust me on that one. Saying goodbye to the Alki was saying goodbye to a big part of my past. There were so many amazing memories at that place. First girlfriends you took there after hours when you couldn't afford hotels. Friends you were bonded with. People that left us way too early role models who believed in you before other people did that old heavy bag that was the best shrink you could ever imagine the alki was special i think we should all have a place like the alki we should all have that one place in the midst of fear that's our escape that one place is our safety Walking to the Alki was dangerous. Walking from the Alki was dangerous. But in that side, that building, you were safe. You were free. And the Alki was such an amazing educational experience. I learned more inside the walls of the Alki than I ever did in a law school classroom. You could quote me on that. And that's all I got right now. Missed that place, man.
All right, guys. Hope all is well. Been a crazy week. I'm Bill Amadeo. Take care. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.